Yes. Omega Watts in the house. Now let me set the table, now, now, now let me set the table Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it Invited to the banquet, I'm glad that you can make it Well hello Table Family, how we doing? Hey, I don't know if you know this, but there's a global pandemic going on Have you heard about this anywhere? Y'all know, y'all been in a bunker? Like, uh, you know, that Netflix show? Okay, cool, uh, I'm not talking about cuties, we'll talk about that later Too soon? Too soon? Too soon? Okay, too soon I don't know. I've been on Christian Facebook, and that's all I see now. Um, so, hey, listen, we are so glad you're back in the room at the table. It's been six months. Did you know that? It's been six months since we hung out together. I am so glad to be back. I hope you're glad to be back. You guys glad to be back? Okay, awesome. Uh, well, hey, if you haven't noticed, uh, the room's a little different. If this is your first time or first time long time, welcome back. So glad you're here. Uh, the, the room isn't normally like this. It's not spaced out like a middle school dance where there's like leaving room for the Holy Spirit. Uh, but again, in order for us to, to gather physically, we had to kind of take through or think through some uh, social precautions. And so we've got social distanced kind of uh, seating. Uh, originally, we were going to have individual chairs spaced six feet apart, like a Connect Four style. And uh, we, we did a pre-run with that with our leaders, and they were like, no, don't do that. So we kind of compromised. We were like four and two, two and four, and all that stuff. And so that seems to work. Does that work better for you guys? I mean, if you can imagine that. Because my, my read of young adults is you guys like to hang out. And if, if we say social distancing, we're like, well, not my party. My party's social distance from that party. And so we're trying to just compromise. You guys are smart. You're adults. We're not trying to control you here. So great. Anyway. So, hey, the room's a little different. And therefore, I want to just remind us what it's like to kind of be together and, and maybe establish some new pop-up rules for how to gather for a kind of... Christian service in the midst of uh, social distancing and with masks on all that stuff. So let's just try some things. You guys up for trying some things? Okay, I heard one guy was like, yeah. And the rest of you are like, I don't know about that. Um, okay, we're gonna try some things. Okay, everyone's gonna have the mask on. You, you know, you got your mask on. I just took mine off. It's right here. I promise you I have a mask, uh, but I took it off to, to speak up here. Um, occasionally, I'm gonna talk about things over the next 10 weeks. Occasionally, I will stumble into something that's humorous. And you're going to think to yourself, that was funny. But like in your brain, you've trained yourself not to ever like expel any air from your mouth. So you won't laugh. You'll just kind of do like a Presbyterian laugh, which is like, mm, yeah. Okay. So listen, hey, if you think something's funny, laugh. It's okay. You have freedom to laugh. You have freedom to express yourself. So let's just practice by doing a forced like old man who just won a hand at blackjack laugh, right? Like, <laughs> let's try that. Okay, so there we go. When you hear lap, no, I didn't say poker. I said blackjack. Calm down over here. Um, right, okay, so if something's funny, if, if I fall off the stage, just, you know, laugh, right? Let's suppose, however, I say something really controversial, and in your heart, you're like, my affection would be turned towards God most by booing right now. So, and you want to boo me to the glory of God. That's okay. So, I'm going to say a controversial statement, and I want you to just practice booing. Just be like, ah, or like you can hiss, or you can be like, that's heresy. You can stand up, you can point at me, you know, do the sign of the cross, or the devil horns, whatever you want to do, right? Okay, here's my controversial statement. Ready? The people mover is the best thrill coaster on Disney property. Yeah. Yeah, changed my mind. Here we go. Uh, okay, right. Uh, you know, so let's say this. Um, uh, Rogue One is the worst Star Wars movie. Okay, Matt. 
yeah, come on. Come on with some booze. Like, you know, um, I don't know. Uh, winter is the best season. Man, this is all the transplants who work at Disney and Universal. They're like, yeah, the hot. Can we turn it down a little bit? Okay, right? Okay, if, if I say something and there's a stir and you're like, oh, I, I want you to feel the freedom to respond in this room however you would organically respond. There, are, there is no preferred way of responding. There's no Christianese. There's no game you need to play. You are welcome here this evening and every evening we choose to gather to just be who you are. And so if you're the kind of person, we're going to practice this. If you're the kind of person and you're like, I'm an introvert. I don't like crowds. More importantly, I don't like public displays of affection, even if it's just with myself in a crowd. Like, I'm going to be quiet. This might as well be a library during study week for finals. I'm not talking. And when I say something or when someone says something, when Lucas says something, you're just like, you're going to do this thing, right? That's okay. So let's practice that. You're going to emote privately as a godly introvert would do, okay? Let's just practice that right now. Just a little nod, okay? Like you're watching a golf match. Okay, here he is, lining up on the team. Right. Okay, good. See, however you need to respond, and whatever way you need to respond, is we just gather and we have this dialogue together. I want to invite you to respond. I know the room is not ideal. Um, I know that we're not in ideal situations. I know we're not returning to normal. And you know what? That's okay. Because even in the midst of all of this chaos, even in the midst of coronavirus, God is still good. And he still loves every single one of you in this room. And he still has a plan for your life. And so I want us to gather and have the freedom to just talk about that on Tuesday nights before all of us leave and go to a socially distanced party at Ale House. Does that sound good? Okay, some of y'all are already on Ale House to go and you're like, let's pick this up. Hurry up, Doug, let's go. I got the you know, zingers or whatever they have coming. Okay, if you guys have your Bibles or your phone apps or your iPad fancy like me because we can't print here anymore, uh, uh, go ahead and open them to Matthew chapter 10. Matthew chapter 10. We're going to look at a few verses. That's going to be our main verse. Let me set up uh, the series of conversations we're going to be having over the next 10 weeks. Uh, and I'll, I'll set it up by telling you this story. When I was a freshman in college at Baylor University, we went to uh, this mission trip to Guadalajara, Mexico. Okay, Baylor's in Texas. Mexico's the country just below Texas. Uh, Mexico, uh, Texas beat Mexico in 1836 in a major uh, contest uh, called the Alamo and the Battle of San Jacinto. Maybe you've heard about it. Uh, so Texas won, became its own country. Uh, we're very proud of that. If you're from, anyone from Texas here? Okay, Texans. I'm speaking gospel truth, right? Yeah, see? Yeah. Anyway, so we were going to Mexico uh, my freshman year. I took Spanish in high school, all four years, in my first year of college. And so I'd had basically five years of Spanish up to that point. Uh, most of my Spanish in high school consisted of the teacher getting tired and we watched the movie Selena. Um, if you've ever seen that movie, Bitty Bitty Bomb Bomb, right? Uh, so shout out to Tejano Music. But that's basically the extent of my Espanol. And so when I was in classes, as we were preparing to go to this mission trip to Guadalajara, this is kind of the stuff we would watch. We would watch a TV or we'd have these practice dialogues and it would be like, you are entering a Mexican town. You are walking up to a man. Go ahead and greet yourself or announce yourself. Hola, como esta? The person will respond like this. Bien, como esta? ¿Y tú? Your response is, bien. Now, it's a time to introduce yourself. Me llamo Doug. Como se llama? He will respond. Mi nombre Pedro. Gracias. Gracias. 
The end. And so I thought every interaction in Mexico was basically like some version of SimCity in Espanol, right? It's just these two kind of robots coming up and talking to each other. That's how I thought it was going to be. So I get on the plane. I'm getting ready. I'm like, yeah, we land. We're in the airport. I'm walking through. And we get to this contact, our, our, uh, uh, this church we sponsored in Guadalajara. We get to there. And this young guy comes out who's about my age. And he walks up to me. And I'm like, this is it. It's go time. Just remember, you got to lead with como esta. Don't say como están, okay? Uh, because that's too, uh, um, uh, that's for a lot of people. This is just a single person. So don't screw this up, Doug. Let's go. So he walks up to me and I'm expecting him to be like, como esta? How are you? And he walks up to me and he goes, que tal, homie? And he kisses me on the cheek. <laughs> and I'm stunned. And I'm like, uh, this wasn't in the video. <laughs> like, number one, no one said anything about like physical contact. Uh, especially between two males. Like, I don't know. Like, I'm really weirded out and I don't know how to respond. And I'm like, me llamo uh, Doug. And he's like, okay. And I'm like, uh, I didn't know what to do. I was done. I, I, I just kind of looked at the translator at that point. I was like, you're going to have to go from here. It, here's what happened in that moment, right? I had learned this rigid script of how to engage this culture. And the, the whole part of my learning process was just memorization and execution. And then I actually got into the culture that I was trying to engage. And that culture was dynamic, not static. It was dynamic and it required flexibility of me and an ability to discern the situation. And I was completely unprepared for it. Now I bring up that story because that sounds a lot like a lot of us in here. Okay, think about it. Maybe you're someone who has grown up in church your whole life. Maybe you're someone who's a brand new Christian. You're just starting to try to follow Jesus here. Maybe you're someone who's here tonight because you're exploring Christianity. But I'm, I'm pretty certain, I'm deeply suspicious that probably if you're here today, you're here because you're trying to live your life in some type of godly Christian way. And so when you have an opportunity to go, uh, go engage your friend or your neighbor or your coworker, and when you have an opportunity for them to ask you a question and you could respond in kind of a Christian way, uh, especially if you've been in any kind of uh, a church situation, the way that the church has largely raised us to interact with the world is through a scripted static kind of way where we memorize a pat answer and we just execute it. And so maybe you've had one of these interactions where you're with a coworker and he walks up to your cubicle after the day and he's like, hey man, uh, you want to go grab a drink after this? And in your mind, you're like, you've prepped for this, right? It's time to have the Christian talk about alcohol with your friend. And so you go, no nah, man, I don't drink because the Bible says don't drink. And he responds, really? Jesus' first miracle was turning water into wine? And, uh, you know, his big ordinance, the Lord's Supper, is bread and wine. So it seems like what the Bible teaches is you should only drink wine. And you go, you make a compelling point. Two bottles later, you're like, I don't feel so good. What's going on, right? This is how we go into the world oftentimes as Christians. We have these pat answers and we don't know how to answer uh, worldly questions from a Christian perspective. And the church has done a poor job, and I love the church, it's done a poor job of teaching us to be flexible and to be discerning about how we answer these kinds of questions. Questions about alcohol. What does the Bible say about alcohol? Does it say don't drink? Does it say you should drink? What's it say? What's it really say? I know what my grandma told me, but she was like alive during prohibition. What, what does it really say, right? Am I following Christian culture? Am I following the Bible? I don't know. Man, no one ever taught me how to think through this issue. 
what does the Bible say about sex and sexuality? Like, should I not have sex? If I'm already having sex, is that bad? If I keep having sex, will God strike me down? Like, I don't know what the Bible says about that. What about politics? Y'all, it's an election year. Do I just have to go to the ballot and vote Republican? Because that's like everything that Fox News and Facebook tells me I should do. And I'm like, I don't know, man. I feel like maybe I should listen to the Bible on this. I don't know what the Bible says about politics. Should we even vote? Is voting a sin? I don't know, right? What does the Bible say about safe Christian friends? Safe friends. How do I know when I found safe friends? How do I know when I found my bridesmaids or my groomsmen? How do I know? I, no one ever told me this. What are we supposed to do in this world? What are we to do? How do we possibly engage the world that we love, our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers, with confidence in what Jesus has said about any particular issue? Well, the good news here today is that Jesus has this beautiful strategy for how we should engage the world. And it's a strategy that helps us to have confidence in our conversations and that leads not only to our good, but the good of our friends and the good of our city. And I want to look at it right now. And it's Matthew 10. So if you've got your Bibles open to Matthew 10, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It'll be on your screen too. Jesus is speaking, and just to set up the context, he is talking to his disciples. He's about to send his disciples into this village or kind of into the world, and he's teaching them how to have discernment and to engage people, the very thing we're talking about right here. Here's what he says, Behold, I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Behold, I'm sending you out into the world among these wolves, as sheep among wolves. Here's the deal. You guys uh, ever been around wolves? You ever been in a nature preserve where there may be wolves? Anybody? Anybody walked in nature preserves and near wolves? Okay, recently my family and I were on this vacation and we were hiking this mountain, which I thought was a good idea with a five-year-old. Um, and so we're on there and the, the park ranger guy was like, uh, or the sign there was like, hey, be careful, there's dangerous animals. Okay, so like we're walking, we're walking around. It's like a, a pretty safe park area, but every time we heard something, I'd be like, stop. And it would be like when you see deer during hunting season and a hunter cocks the gun and the deer is like, <laughs> you're just like chewing on stuff, looking around. Every time we heard something, we were like, oh my gosh, right? There, there might be bears, there might be wolves, there might be, I don't know, alligators. I don't know what's out there, but it's like, I don't know, maybe it's like, a, you know, the mummy or something is coming to get me here. This is what Jesus is talking about. This is the way he describes the world. For people who are following Jesus, for Christians, for baby Christians, for mature Christians, for people trying to just explore Christianity, but you don't know if you're there yet, if you're trying to follow Jesus into the world, just be prepared. The world, they don't mean any harm. They have no evil intent. But the way that they act are like predatory wolves. They're going to come after you. And so we need to have a strategy. This is what Jesus is saying to his people. And so he says this, I'm sending you out as, as sheep among wolves. By the way, wolves eat sheep. So just so you know. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Let me give you some definitions on shrewd and innocent. Shrewd. Shrewd basically means thinking long-term, not short-term. It means playing chess, not checkers. Okay? You guys know what I mean? In checkers, you're just thinking about the next move. In chess, you're trying to think nine moves ahead. That's the idea behind shrewdness. Now, we have some animal lovers in our, uh, in our fellowship here. Uh, we've got Lydia, who I think is over here somewhere. Lydia is like the queen of wild Florida. And then there's Thomas, who's a marine biologist. Thomas, are you in the room? Maybe Thomas is in the back. Uh, there he is. So uh, I texted both of them and I was like, hey, 
tell me about how smart snakes are, which is a very common Doug text where I'll just text people, yo, tell me how smart snakes are. And Thomas was like, you know, and Lydia researched, and they were like, well, snakes are actually, you know, they're pretty smart. They can, they can pray. Uh, they're pretty cunning, and so they would be kind of smarter reptiles, right? I mean, they're not the smartest, but they're, they're pretty smart. Uh, and I just thought about this. I, I have this irrational fear, and Alec, who's on our staff, made me aware of this. When I moved to Florida, I was just afraid anytime I sat down on a potty that there was going to be a snake in the water. Because, like, when you hear about Florida, it's like, man, full of reptiles. And so... To this day, when I go into my own home's bathroom, I always turn on the light and I'll pick up the lid and I'll like look around before I sit down. And even as I sit down, I am nervous that a snake is like hiding and I'm gonna sit down and he's gonna be like, gotcha, right? It takes me a while to go to the bathroom, just FYI. Anyway, why, why do I think this? Why do I think this? Because I'm aware that snakes are smart. Okay, when you think about snakes, they're crafty. They're like slithering around the corner. They're like, oh yeah, I'm gonna crouch down. Okay, cheeks are on the seat. Here we go. Yeah, right? Like that's the kind of stuff that snakes do. They're really shrewd. They're thinking four steps ahead. They know you can't see them and they're hiding. They're out to get us. And Jesus is saying, this is the way that Christians need to be in the world. They need to be shrewd. They need to be wise. They, they need to think about the ideal of thinking 14 steps ahead think the long term don't think only about the short term gain be shrewd he also says you need to balance that by being innocent here's the definition of innocence innocence or to be innocent is to be pure obedient and unblemished and you need to be innocent as doves okay now I asked how smart are doves and uh, Thomas and Lydia both were like, well, parrots are the smartest birds, so doves are somewhere in between, right? So doves aren't necessarily like the most cunning animals out there, but you know, they're just like lovable, kind, sweet birds, right? I mean, when you think about dove, you think about chocolate, right? You think about that soap that feels good on your skin. You know that when they cry, it sounds like a Prince song. This is doves, right? Doves are just sweet and innocent and pure. They're the symbol of Christmas and Home Alone 2 with the turtle doves. It's just good images, right? And Jesus is saying, be pure like a dove and balance that with being as shrewd as a snake. Now, what does that look like to be both shrewd and innocent, to be both wise and pure? Well, in the first century, uh, the Apostle Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, is writing to this church in Corinth. And he's uh, kind of obsessed with these two issues here because the church in Corinth lived in a world that was full of wolves. In fact, the culture was so uh, tricky that Christians just were befuddled as to how to navigate that culture and to talk about the gospel. Uh, and they were just failing left and right. In fact, in, in the, le the first letter to the Corinthians, uh, it, it, uh, Paul is writing to this church and he's responding to this sexual immorality going on. And basically here's what it was. If you know this, just forgive me. Uh, there was a guy in the church who was sleeping with his stepmom but that wasn't the worst part, okay? He was sleeping with his stepmom and he was bragging about it to his small group, but that wasn't the worst part. <laughs> 
He was sleeping with his stepmom and he was bragging to his group about it. And his group's response, this is a group of people who are confessing Jesus as their Lord. Their response was to high five him Borat style and go, Yakshamesh, very nice, right? They're like sharing it on Facebook. Yo, this is the hottie that that dude's getting with. Yeah, mom, you know what I'm talking about, right? All over the place, they're proud of this. And Paul is having to go, wow, this is a really dark culture. And these people are getting eaten alive by the wolves. And so he's trying to speak to these people about a wise strategy. And he picks up on Jesus's notes in Matthew 10. And he begins to give his own refrain on the issue. And there's two things he says, one in each of the letters that he writes. The first one is this. He says in 1 Corinthians 10, 23, everything is permissible, but not everything is beneficial. Okay. Everything in this world is permissible. Guys, if you're following Christ and you're wondering, what is it I'm able, what is it I'm permitted to do in this life? You're permitted to do whatever you want. Everything is permissible. You want to sleep with everybody all the time? It's permissible. You want to drink all the alcohol in the world and just consume it every day? It's permissible. You want to do whatever and watch whatever, whenever, with whomever, as much as you want? It's permissible. But that's not the question that shrewd people ask. The question that shrewd people ask is this, is this thing that I'm engaging in beneficial to me? Because shrewd people are thinking about the long term. Is this thing that I'm engaging with or that I'm thinking about, is it ultimately beneficial to my life? The first question we have to ask in holding shrewdness and innocence uh, into this tension here is, is this thing beneficial to me? And guess what? This is an incredibly subjective question. Paul and Jesus are assuming that you are smart enough to know yourself, to be able to go, yeah, I could eat pizza every day, all year, but in the long run, it's going to be really hard on my genes. So I should probably not eat pizza every day, right? You are a human being who understands pain and pleasure, and you can figure out what is beneficial to you. It's the subjective question that a shrewd person asks. But this gets balanced with the innocence, and so in the first letter to Corinthians, or I'm sorry, in the second letter, 2 Corinthians 10.5, uh, I'm sorry, in, yeah, in the second Corinthians 10.5, in the second letter, uh, Paul asks this, or says this. He says, we take every thought captive and we make it obedient to Christ. Innocent people ask, can I participate in this thing? Can I engage with this thing and still be morally obedient to the truth that Jesus teaches. Remember, Jesus is the smartest person who ever lived because he's God. And he has given us the most authoritative truth in the world on all matters of life and faith and everything. And so he's the final say on all things. When we're considering whether we should engage in something or think about something, the second question we ask is not only is it beneficial to me, but when I engage with this thing, is there any scripture, is there anything Jesus has taught that I'm going to have to disobey? Or can I enjoy this thing and still be in obedience to Christ? And with these two questions in mind, the question of shrewdness, is this beneficial? And the question of innocence, is there there anything I'd have to disobey by enjoying this? This gives us a beautiful matrix. And if you've been around us for a long time, you know that we love uh, matrices. We love just like creating a quadrant and just thinking about things because we think it's a helpful lens to think through life. This is the matrix that's in fact uh, something we're going to view all of these issues through for the next 10 weeks. And it's going to be on your screen here. So here's what I want you to see. On the upper end here, it's... Obedient, disobedient. You can see that kind of spectrum there, okay? 
on the horizontal end, you've got it's beneficial or it's not beneficial. It's something that's detrimental to me, okay? And so by thinking about all issues in, in that kind of matrix system, this helps us very clearly see the four kinds of people that we will meet in life or the four kinds of people we've been in life on any given issue. Watch, let me show you this. So if you think about someone who is uh, not thinking about their benefit, in other words, they're just um, operating detrimentally to themselves and they're being incredibly disobedient to their own moral conscience of what they understand Jesus to mean by things, this is someone who's incredibly hopeless. And anyone who's ever been hopeless in life knows that what it feels like is this rut that I'm in, this constant spinning I'm in, it's not beneficial to me. And I don't really know, I'm completely discombobulated as to what Jesus is saying about this. Someone who is not thinking of their benefit and not thinking of obedience is someone who is hopeless. The next two people that I want to talk about are the most common extremes in the culture wars we find ourselves in, okay? And so if this is you, just maybe don't raise your hand and be like, yeah, that's me. Uh, Just kind of be cool here. All right, so if you think about someone who is obedient but not thinking about the benefit. In other words, they're thinking, can I be morally obedient to Jesus? But I'm not gonna consider whether this is something in the long range that is good for me. This is the idealist. This is the moral idealist. This is someone who we would describe as being incredibly naive, right? And you all know those people, right? Uh, if you've ever seen the movie Trolls, I have kids, so this is my reference, right? Uh, right, this is Poppy from Trolls. This is like glitter, sparkles, everything is great, right? It's just like, oh man, this is just the best thing ever and this is the best day ever and everyone's the best ever, and right? They, they, they are so locked into the moral ideal, they have a, no awareness of what is real and practical in the world. And so they constantly just live in the dream world of moral perfection. And when this other group sees them, when this other person sees them, they go, that person is so naive. This, this is every kid who was raised in church and then went to a Christian school. And then when they got do, done, they worked at a Christian job. And they married a Christian person. And they had Christian kids. And they joined a cult. And they live in a biosphere. And they're just like, life is perfect all the time, right? And then they meet that one person who doesn't live in that world. And they're like, I, have no, I don't know how to engage you on anything because I talk about the Bible and you just don't leave the Bible and how long can you don't leave the Bible, right? Just completely naive. On the other end, that person who is only considering the pragmatic value of the benefit and not at all considering the ethical value of this. They're, they're completely morally um, disobedient. This would be a person who says, the end justifies the means, right? This is the person who is calculating, right? The end justifies the means. All that matters at the end of the day is the outcome, y'all. Look, hey, I'm a winner. Winners get things done. This is what it's like in Texas, right? Texans, am I right? I'm a winner. This is what, hey, man, I just win. And uh, it's like Ricky Bobby and Talladega Nights. I'm a winner. I go fast. Doesn't matter how many hearts I break. It doesn't matter how many tires I pop along the way. I'm a winner. It does, right? Only considering what is pragmatically beneficial, never ever considering what is moral. This is the person who is incredibly calculating. And the person who's calculating looks at the person who's naive. And the person who's naive looks at the person who's calculating. And they go, these are the only options in life. Spoiler alert. When we get to politics... These are the two parties, right? I'll just tease that out for later. Here's the deal. Here's the deal though. Jesus didn't tell us be calculating and he also didn't tell us to be naive. I think what the church trains us to be is to be naive. 
But Jesus didn't say be naive. He didn't say only care about what is pure and obedient. He also said be shrewd. And so the life that Jesus wants for us, the strategy that Jesus wants for us is in that top quadrant on the right here where we're primarily concerned about being obedient to his scripture and we're also primarily concerned about what is beneficial to me and the life that lives within those strategies of being both shrewd and innocent is the life that is incredibly, incredibly confident. So let me give you an illustration about this. Uh, Anybody in here remember CDs? Not the thing you invest in, the thing you listen to. We know this, CDs. Anybody in here actually have CDs in their life? Show of hands. Okay, old people, cool. Um, So when I was in middle school, the first CDs started coming out. And we had tapes, like all in elementary school, we had tapes. I think when I was born in the first couple of years, it was eight track. So in my lifetime, it was eight track and then tapes. And I remember CDs came out and I was like, what's a CD? And they're like, man, it's like perfect audio quality. And I was like, I don't know what that means, but I, I need that, right? Because uh, I got to listen to that new Weird Al Yankovic album, man. So my first album was Weird Al Yankovic. It was the Nirvana spoof album for Weird Al. Anyway, some of you are like, nerd. Yes, and that's true. I was. Uh, like, I bet he played in the band. I did. Uh, why you got to hate on band? They're awesome. Anyway, uh, I bet he ran cross country. Yeah, I did. You know me. Uh, so I got the CD and then I got the second CD and I got the third CD. And you know how it is when you're like 13, 14. The only thing you're thinking about is... Yo, when I'm 16, I can drive. And one of the things I was thinking through as a 13, 14-year-old is, okay, which CD in my collection am I going to listen to on my first drive when I have my license? My birthday is in October 1997. I'm turning 16. I went to the DMV, and then I went home, and I got this really awesome device. It was a visor CD holder that went on the visor, you know, the flip down visor, and it just went on there and I Velcroed it around and I had like 12 CDs in there. And I remember my my friend Brad, who was six months younger than me. So in six months, he was going to, you know, be there. And I was like, dude, I'm gonna go pick up Brad. I'm gonna show him the visor and then we're gonna play a CD, right? And so I had my 12 best CDs there. And then I went to go And I was like, man, I can't wait to pick up Brad. I just got to play it. And I grabbed the CD and I put it in my CD player. Do you remember that? It was like, click, 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 30 seconds, I'm just waiting. And then finally it came on, the opening anthem to Star Wars. It's the first CD I rocked in my 1995 Chevy Silverado single cab, navy blue with a yellow pinstripe and a step side with the bars on it and the foam in the, the foam spray in the back and the awesome tires and the rims that went bling. It was amazing. I was like, for a truck this tricked out, I gotta, I gotta open with Star Wars. And so I put it on, dun, 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 and I'm like backing up out of my driveway and I'm like feeling so cool because I got my CD player and I drive over to Brad's house and I'm like, yo, get in, listen to this sound system. I got a subwoofer in the back. It's amazing. Let's listen to Star Wars on this subwoofer. And so we rolled down the windows and we drove to the uh, grocery store parking lot in my hometown of 16,000 people where people cruised on Friday nights where guys picked up girls in their pickup trucks and I put on Star Wars and I turned it all the way up and I'm driving around and Brad is just like, oh my gosh. My best friend probably runs cross country and is in band. Oh, he's a nerd. And I'm driving around and at that time you would get your wallet and you'd get your money, right? In my hometown. And you would like flash your bills. And so I would drive around with my window down, 
like this, lean back, flashing my money for all the people to see how wealthy I was, listening to Star Wars. And I was like, I am the coolest person in the world. And finally, Brad was like, put on something else. So I went to my next option, which was Tupac's Machiavelli album. A little bit different musical style. And so I put that in and we drove around. And then I listened to Pearl Jam. And then I listened to Nirvana. And man, for that first month, I would just get a different CD every day and I would just drive around and I loved all my music. But something else happened in that same year in 1997, uh, you know, almost 23, now 23 years ago. I got saved and I became a Christian. And I got saved in a really conservative, maybe fundamentalist church. And so I'm driving to church one day and I'm playing Tupac and I'm just like, Tupac is the greatest. And I'm pulling in and my windows are down and the music minister comes up to me and he's like, hi there, Doug. And I'm like, hey there, music minister. And he's like, we should have a conversation about your musical style. And again, I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I didn't know what was going on. He was like, hey, listen, you're a Christian now. You may want to consider what kind of music you listen to as a Christian. And I was like, hey man, Nobody ever taught me this before. And he was like, yeah, you need to listen to Christian music. Go talk to the youth pastor. And I was like, okay. So now it's my moral quest to go talk to the youth pastor. Do you guys, I mean, some of you are new Christians. Maybe some of you are Christians. Do you remember what it's like being a new Christian? It doesn't matter where you were on this matrix. Can you throw the matrix back up here, Dan? It doesn't matter where you used to be on the matrix. When you become a new Christian, for whatever reason, you become supremely concerned with the moral quality of things. I don't know why it was for me, but I was just like, I have to be obedient to Jesus. I have to do everything morally right. Like, I used to be very pragmatic, but that thing went out the window. It was all virtue ethics all the time. I was like, I gotta be obedient. I gotta be obedient. And I went to talk to my youth pastor because he was the best Christian I knew. I was like, man, Music minister said, I should think about the kind of music I listen to. And I just, I have these 12 CDs in the visor and I've got a big case at home that has a zipper on it and there's more. Like, you know, I was part of the CD club where I got 10 CDs for one penny. Like, what do I do here? And my music minister was like, he speaks truth. I mean, my youth pastor was like, he speaks truth. You know what we got to do? We got to smash all these CDs. And I was like, what? And he was like, yeah, everybody in our youth ministry smashes all their old secular albums and then they only listen to Christian music. And I was like, two points of order. Number one, what's a secular album? He's like, secular means not Christian. I was like, oh, okay. He's like, how many secular CDs do you have? I was like, all of them. <laughs> Literally every album I have is secular. Nothing I have is Christian. And he goes, okay, do you, like, you want to listen to Christian music? And I was like, what is Christian music? And he like told me. And I was like, this sounds terrible. Um, <laughs> And he was like, but you have to do this for Jesus. And I was like, oh, obedience, right? So I remember going home, taking my visor off, going up to the trash can, CD, CD. A reverse money throw. I was just throwing those CDs into the trash. I took my big thing. I had like 48 CDs in there. And I was like, bye, Biggie. Bye, Diddy. Bye, Alanis Morissette. Right, just everything and I'd put it in and then I had to go to like a Lifeway Christian store and they had those signs and it was like, if you love Metallica, you're gonna love Sandy Patty, right? <laughs> I was like, really? They're like, yeah, trust me, Sandy Patty goes hard. I'm like, okay, I gotta buy that album. And so I just got all of these Christian albums and I would get in my truck and I remember I filled up the little dad and I was like, okay, let's give it a go. And I put in like a, you know, Amy Grant album and it's like, baby, baby. Da, 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 da. And I'm like, I'm obedient to Jesus. I'm just trying to lean in, Lord. Bless Amy Grant. I don't know, right? And so 
All I did for the next five years was try to find Christian music that sounded somewhat okay, right? And I would go in, I would go into these Lifeway stores and I'd be like, uh, hey sir, uh, do you have any, do you have any Christian rap music, right? Let me just tell you, in 1997, not a lot of Christian rap music. Uh, the best out there was a band called Grits, Grammatical Revolution in the Spirit, from Tennessee. Do you guys remember this? And I was like, yeah, these guys are okay, right? And so I got a Grits album, and I was like, Grits, you are my holy grail. You're the only thing I can listen to. And I just listened to it on repeat because Christian music was lame, and I missed all my good stuff, but I was trying to be obedient like everybody else. And I was living very, show it again, Dan, I'm living very naively, Completely on the obedient side, not considering the benefit to myself. I really didn't like the music. It was detrimental to me. It wasn't beautiful. It wasn't good art. And I just missed it, but I was trying to be obedient. So then I get to college in 2000. And I'm talking to all these people who are in my life groups or whatever. And I met that one Christian friend that you have, you know what I'm talking about, who's like just against everything. And he's like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I cuss. And you're like, oh, okay. that's a really weird way to introduce yourself. I asked you what your name was, and you're like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I cuss. It's like, this guy didn't watch the video on how to introduce himself. So, uh, and then he would just be like, yeah, I'm a Christian, but I'm 18. I smoke. I have freedom in Christ. Yeah, I'm a Christian, uh, but I, you know, I mess around with my girlfriend, freedom in Christ. And this was a person who was way over there on the calculating end, completely um, not concerned with anything of the obedience, just completely obsessed with this freedom he had in Christ, way over here. And I was like, okay, guy who's way over here, like what kind of music you listen to? He's like, I listen to good music. I listen to Tupac. I listen to Biggie. I, he listed all my favorite uh, music albums. And I was like, listen, can I walk by your dorm tomorrow at like five o'clock for 10 minutes and could you just put on Pearl Jam's 10, just the first five tracks and I'm just gonna be outside so I can listen to that. And he's like, yeah, I can. So then I would just like go by his dorm and I would just like hang outside and like read a book and I'd just be like, yes, like getting my fix. But secretly I'm like, no, I'm still naive. I'm still moral over here, all that stuff. And I thought these were the only two options when it came to music, right? I either had to be naively over here jamming my Amy Grant, God bless Amy Grant, right? Or I had to be completely conniving and calculating over here listening to my Pearl Jam. And then in 2002, God did me a solid. He sent me Natalie Cravey. Now, Natalie Hankins, my wife, my baby mama, the love of my life, right? Well, Jesus, but then Natalie. Anyway, uh, um, anyway, so I'm on this date with Natalie one time, and um, I'm in her car, and I'm like, hey, Natalie, let's go on a date. She's like, okay. And she goes, do you want to listen to music? And I was like, okay, she's a Christian, so I got to be prepared for some like Amy Grant. Like, it's just got to be the thing. And so I get in the car, she's like, how about Dixie Chicks? And I went, what? And she was like, yeah, I love Dixie Chicks. And I was like, yo, are they secular? <laughs> and she's like, yes. <laughs> and I was like, you can listen to secular music? And she was like, yes. I was like, wait, wait, wait. I got to know what the formula is there. How can you listen to secular music? And she's like, well, I don't really listen to Christian music. And I was like, shut the front door. What? And she was like, listen, I, I like music. It's beautiful. And I was like, well, wait, wait, wait. But when you listen to secular music, does it like, does it inspire you to be immoral? And she was like, no. <laughs> she's like, if there's music that inspires me to be immoral, I don't listen to it. She was trying to be innocent. But if music is really good for me, if it, if it brings beauty and it brings joy, enjoyment to me, I try to listen to it. She was shrewd. And it was the first person I ever met who was living in that top quadrant right there. She was incredibly confident in her art and in her expression. 
And so at that point, I went back with this new thing and I was like, okay, Lord, I get it. I can listen to music as long as it's beneficial and as long as it's something that doesn't cause me to stumble, allows me to reign morally pure before Jesus. And then I immediately got on Napster and downloaded all of the music I used to have illegally. And so I started making these mixtapes and I'd be playing it for Natalie and she'd be like, oh my, you like very interesting music. And she was like, uh, you know, because at the time you could burn like a whole bunch of MP3s on a disc. I don't know if you know this. I feel like I'm talking like ancient technology. You're like, nice job, dinosaur. Uh, so I remember I played it for Natalie. She was like, where did you get this music? I was like, I downloaded it from, uh, from you know, Napster. And she was like, isn't that illegal? And I was like, not moral. Okay. Uh, so then the next night I went home and I deleted all of this music and I'm throwing away CDs again that I burned. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is my lot in life. And that's kind of how it went for me through college and into grad school, but something amazing happened in grad school. Apple came out with its first digital music collection that you could purchase things. And I remember sitting down to download or to purchase some of this music for the first time, and the songs are 99 cents or 199. And I sit down and I look at it and I'm like, yeah, I think I want to download that one Tupac song off of the Machiavelli album, uh, Hail Mary. And so I start playing it and I was like, well, you know, um, like you do the preview and I was listening to it and I was like, okay, well, you know, Hail Mary, Jesus, mother, like, okay, I think it's pretty moral. I was like, and man, it's banging. Like, I really like this song. And the, the, the first verse starts off, I'm not a killer, but don't pu uh, push me. Revenge is like the sweetest joy next to having casual sex with a woman. I'm cleaning it up there a little bit. That doesn't rhyme as much. But I hear that first thing right there and I go, Ugh. yeah, these lyrics don't direct my attention towards God. They direct it away from God and towards immoral things. I don't think the benefit obedience matrix works there for me. I'm, I'm probably not going to buy this one. And what was really interesting about the buy feature is it forced me to go, am I really going to commit my life to enjoying this song in a way that helps me obey Jesus maximally? And so what was really cool about that whole experience is every song I bought, I had to go through this process. It wasn't just buy the CD for a dollar. It wasn't just do all this other stuff. I had to really think about everything. And over the last 15 years, I have purchased most of that music back today. And guess what? When I listen to it in my car on my Apple phone that's now connected to my cool new futuristic way that you listen to music, when I listen to that music, I have supreme confidence now. Why? Because I understand that what Jesus wants for me is to be shrewd and innocent in every decision that I make. And guess what? In every decision that you guys make, he wants you to be both shrewd and innocent. And so, if you're willing to go on this journey with us for the next 10 weeks, as we talk about alcohol and sex and politics, and how do we listen to news authorities, and how do we talk about all these other controversial issues, if you're willing to go with us, I think you're going to need to keep this matrix in mind, and I think you're going to need two more things with you to help you work through it. And here's what they are. Number one, you're going to need a keyword search Bible. And I recommend openbible.info. And so if you haven't bookmarked that, I want to encourage you to do that now or write it down. What you can do in openbible.info is you, there's, a, you know, there's a search feature where you can get uh, in the search bar and you can say, what does the Bible say about? And you type it in, what's the Bible say about? Blah, 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 blah. And then it gives you a number of verses that are related to that topic. Now, why would you do this? Because as you're thinking about the obedience factor of any given issue, you can type it in there and it'll tell you this is what the Bible says about it to help you make wise decisions about the morality of what you're considering. But there's a second thing you're going to need. You're going to need some safe friends 
to help hold you accountable to this benefit part of things. So that when you subjectively go, hey, I think this is beneficial for me. Yeah, like I, I really like to start this thing. Your friends can go, you know, I know you. I'm not sure that's so beneficial for you. Like, or yes, I do think that's really beneficial for you. It's great to have safe friends holding you accountable and being a good sounding board for you. And if you're not someone who's here today who has a lot of safe friends, can I just say something uh, in this room? We are kicking off a, a new season of groups here. We've got these open groups that are available. And if you're someone who wants to find some safe friends right now, you can go back to the Connection Lounge right after this and you can meet some of our awesome life group leaders. In fact, life group leaders, if you're here, could you stand up and just kind of wave? Let's just so that we can see some of our people, okay? We got these people here. These are our life group leaders. And... They would love for you to join their life group. Uh, we've got some girls groups. We've got some guys only groups. We've got some co-ed groups. We've got some couples groups if you're engaged or married or seriously dating. And you can text 40777, I'm sorry, text table to 40777 and you can find some groups. You can find a list of those menus uh, of those groups or you can just go to the Connection Lounge afterwards and the life group leaders will be there. They'd love to meet you and they'd love to invite you to join their group this week. Okay, and they'd love to tell you more about that. We're gonna need safe friends. We're gonna need a Bible that we can search uh, with keywords if we're gonna live shrewdly and also innocently. Let me do something for us. Can I just pray for us real quick? And then I just gonna come up and give us some highlights. Jesus, thank you for our friends. Thank you for this kickoff to um, the table. Lord Jesus, I, I pray that you would help us to have discernment in the way that we engage the world so that we can have confidence in engaging our friends, neighbors, and coworkers with the truth uh, of your word in any issue that comes to our minds. For your glory, for our good, and the good of the city that we love. Orlando, amen.